You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Good morning, Calvary. How's everybody doing today? Guys, it is awesome to see you. My name is Alex. I am the Connections Pastor here at at Calvary. So happy to have you with us. And honestly, I get to see you guys pretty much after every holiday, uh, which is awesome. I got to see you guys after 4th of July. And now I get to see you after Thanksgiving. Thanks for coming out. Excited to have you guys today. Hopefully you guys had a great Thanksgiving. You guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yes? Uh, We had a fantastic uh, Thanksgiving, uh, my family and I. For the first time uh, in, in about five years, we actually returned to my dad's house for Thanksgiving. Now, we used to always have Thanksgiving at my parents' house. Ever since I was a kid growing up, that's where all our family, both sides, everyone would come together for Thanksgiving. Uh, but after my mom passed in 2017, you know, my dad really wasn't up to hosting. Um, you know, and I get it. You know, we, it was hard, you know, for all of us. So for a few years, we were kind of spread out a little bit for Thanksgiving, little pockets of family, uh, meeting in different places. But this year, he was all in, said, all right, we're coming back to our house, having Thanksgiving um, at my house. So it was, we had a huge, huge Thanksgiving. It was great to see the house full of family again. And it's great to see the interaction of extended, extended family. And, and, and honestly, for me, by far, my favorite moment of the night had to be between, and I want you guys to just stay with me here, my sister-in-law's mother-in-law, okay, and my daughter's fiance's dad, all right? So as extended as family uh, can get. So we're sitting, this is after dinner, we're out back by the pool, we had dinner outside, which was great, so we're kind of sitting there hanging out. Um, I'm sitting with my soon-to-be son-in-law's family, his mom, dad, two sisters, my daughter's there as well, and we're, we're outside by the pool, right by the door to the bathroom that everyone's using. You know, there's, a, there's a, a door to a bathroom from the outside, and that's basically where everyone was coming in. And most of us are hanging out outside, so everyone was using that door. My daughter's um, soon-to-be father-in-law um, gets up to go to the bathroom, and now the door is it's a little tough to close, I guess with the rain and water. You know, it's, it's a little tight, and I'm telling them, listen, man, just... You got to slam it. Slam it hard. Put your shoulder into it. Like, it'll close. Don't worry about it. He's like, I don't want to force it. Listen, I'm just going to close it. You guys keep an eye out for me. All right. All right. So he goes into the bathroom, and we continue talking, and without any of us noticing, again, my wife's sister's mother-in-law walks right by us, goes straight to the door, and opens it. And, you know, we finally realize what's happening. We all kind of, like, look at each other and look at what's happening and she just stands there for a second calmly closes the door turns around comes over to where we, where we are smiles and says listen it's okay it's not something i've never seen before <laughs> and just like walks away and we are mortified waiting for him to come out right a few seconds later he comes out and he's just like he points he's like you and you and you and you all of you you had one job. How could you guys do this to me? Unbelievable. But listen, at least they're going to have something to talk about 
at the wedding when they see each other again, right? You know, it's moments like those that bring families uh, together. But listen, it was a blast. But honestly, the highlight of, of, of Thanksgiving, I think, is, is the meal. And, well, I have a little bit of a confession to make, and I'm hoping I can share that with you guys this morning. Over the years, I have become what some may consider a Thanksgiving snob. Um, I'll explain to you what that means. As soon as the planning and coordinating for Thanksgiving begins, uh, it's my wife and my brother's wife that start talking about who's going to bring what. And it's at that moment that I strategically position myself to make sure I'm bringing the turkey. Because turkey's a centerpiece of the Thanksgiving table, and I don't trust that responsibility to anyone. I also have a few personal rules that I think everyone uh, should follow. For example, honestly, there shouldn't be any non-traditional Thanksgiving dishes at the table. So for us, being a Hispanic family, there's no rice and black beans. There's no yuca or platanitos, right? That's for Nochebuena. Um, that's for our Christmas Eve. That's what that's for. Um, here's another one. If you're asked to bring a dish, the first time you make it should not be for Thanksgiving. Okay? Thanksgiving is not the time to start testing out recipes. You have, we let you know with plenty of time. Research, study, try a few out. All right? Perfect it. And an honest assessment, if you think that you don't possess the skill set to make it happen, listen, there's no shame. You admit it, you bow out. Okay? Thanksgiving, again, is not the time to experiment with recipes. Now, what terrifies me the most is entrusting a staple dish, right? A, a, a crucial dish to someone bringing something for the first time. You want a first-timer to bring some casserole or some jello mold, have at it. But to entrust a crucial dish like, I don't know, mashed potatoes to a Thanksgiving rookie, that's when I start sweating. Because my first instinct is to tell them, listen, don't worry about it. We got to cover You just bring bread or drinks, right, or, or a salad, okay? It's pretty hard to mess that up. And by the way, if for your Thanksgiving you were asked to bring bread or salad or drinks or cups or plates, Listen, I'm sorry to tell you that's code for we don't trust you with the important stuff. I mean, but look, I, I just want the best Thanksgiving possible for everyone involved. And I feel confident that if people would just trust me, right, if people would just listen to me and do as I tell them, we'd all have an amazing Thanksgiving. But I get it. Sometimes that's hard to do. And not just on Thanksgiving. We don't like being told what to do, even if it's what we should there's just something about someone telling us what to do, what to say, or how to act. It's like we are wired to disobey. You know, we'll say, you know, don't worry. Like, I got this. I know what I'm doing. And then that's how we end up with lumpy mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. But it's not just with people or, you know, with parents, with bosses, teachers, or even pastors telling us what to do, right? We do the same thing with God in our nature. Our nature is disobedience. And yet God is saying, If you would just obey, if you would just do what I say, how I say to do it, when I say to do it, you would live and experience the absolute best life I have planned for you. And I'm sure if you were asked, right, hey, do you want to live the absolute best life God has planned for you? Yes, absolutely, without a doubt. Bring it on. Bless me abundantly. So why is obedience so hard? And that's what I want to spend our time together 
uh, today talking about, um, we're going to be in the Old Testament, uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, and it, it, there's, it's a pivotal moment in the life of the prophet Samuel and Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Uh, Saul's obedience to God is put to the test. So how does he do? And more importantly, what does his story teach us? So uh, to, just to get everyone on the same page, a, a little background here. Early in Israel's history, they had no king. They were 12 loosely organized tribes, and they had um, these appointed judges. Okay, And these judges would help you know, keep the peace, kind of settle disputes. Um, and during this time, Samuel the prophet was Israel's religious leader, but again, not a king. Now, because of, of, of the constant threat uh, of war against, against Israel, against those tribes, and, and really a desire to be like the nations, you know, they say, they, they say all these nations that kind of surround them, like, man, all those nations have kings. How come we don't have a king? Uh, the people pressured Samuel to appoint a king to rule over them. The people had rejected God. They served other gods, and, and Samuel was not happy about this at all. God, however, allowed it, and Saul was appointed the first king of Israel. Now, Saul's reign as king started well, but his continued disobedience started the downfall of his kingship. And here in chapter 15, we see a defining moment in his life. And, and so, But before we begin, um, I just want to share this one thought with you, because here is what I know to be true, that while disobedience keeps you from experiencing God's absolute best, you have no idea what God can set in motion in your life through one step of obedience. So we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and uh, it's in your outlines. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. Um, so reading from verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, oxen, sheep, camel, and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them into lame, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur which is east of Egypt. So if you pause there and just give me your attention. The first truth that we need to understand this morning is that obedience requires bold faith. Obedience requires bold faith. And before I go on, I, I, I want to address something, and that's the command um, that's actually given to Saul by God in, in verse 3. It says, Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey now this is a portion of scripture that is that is troubling uh, to some it's it, to some it's worrisome to some it's it's confusing if you weren't asking before you may be asking now why would God ever give such a command to a king to one of his own to one 
of his leaders to go and utterly wipe out an entire group of people, everyone, including their animals. Well, I guess we can start with who were the Amalekites. Um, the Amalekites were a descendant of Amalek. Amalek was one of the grandsons of Esau. Kind of sounds like an extended Thanksgiving uh, dinner. Um, but I say all this for those of you that are familiar with, uh, with Esau. If you're not, Genesis 25. You can read all about it, but just you have an idea of the, of the lineage. Um, but ultimately, they, they were a nomadic tribe, um, kind of going from place to place, that lived in the area between Canaan, which is the, the promised land, um, and Egypt. And they were known in the ancient world as brutal, ruthless marauders, attackers, and plunderers. They were known for their vile worship. They sacrificed their children and babies into worship of their false gods. They were absolutely brutal. And the Amalekites' unrelenting brutality towards the Israelites began with an attack um, that you can read about in Exodus chapter 17. But basically, this is when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt to the promised land. Um, and, and, and on this journey, the Amalekites attacked them, apparently for no other reason other than they could. And what's worse is that they attacked, uh, the Bible says, the rear of the group. And the rear of the group is where the elderly were, the infirmed, uh, those that really couldn't keep up, women and children, uh, you know, the men who were injured, uh, those that were weary. And that's where they attacked and killed them. And this attack on Israel um, is recounted in the book of Deuteronomy. So I want to share this with you. It's not in your notes, but you'll see it up on the screen. If you want to jot it down, Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 to 19, uh, we read this admonition. It says, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek under heaven. Do not forget. See, so this command was not a random or senseless act of murder or genocide by God. This was God's sovereign judgment upon the Amalekites who for 400 years set out to destroy his people. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, again, you'll, you'll see it on the screen. It says, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable uh, for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us. So that we may, be, we may, be, we may obey all the terms of these instructions. See, there, there are things that God does, um, does that, he, that he chooses not to reveal to us. And there are things that he does reveal to us. And we can choose to focus and speculate on what he has not revealed. Or we can study and obey what has been revealed because ultimately that is what we will be held accountable for. And when God in his sovereignty chooses to take a life, he has a bigger purpose behind it. And it may be his judgment like we see here for the Amalekites or it may be his mercy, grace, and compassion when he sent Jesus, his only son, to die on the cross for us. So back uh, to the story. Now Saul, Israel's first king, is the one tasked with carrying out God's judgment. So obedience requires bold faith. Why bold? Because it requires courage to be obedient to God. It requires patience, waiting on God's timing. Obedience requires bold faith because obedience will always be met with opposition. 
And not just from this world and this culture, but spiritual opposition. When you are moving forward for God, Satan doesn't like it, and he's going to try whatever to stop whatever it is that you're doing. And if you're not ready to face opposition uh, to your obedience to God, then the truth is that you're not ready to be used by God. When you are following Jesus and obeying him, expect opposition and be ready for it. Obedience requires bold faith because to obey God means to walk maybe where the path is unclear and the outcome uncertain. God may be telling you to do something that you just don't understand. And he may be telling you to do something that's hard. He may be telling you to leave that job that pays really well and maybe gives you a, a status and, and position that, um, that frankly, you, uh, you enjoy. But, but you've had to compromise your morals, your convictions more than once. And you're pretty sure you're going to have to do it again. Or God is telling you to end the relationship because it's a relationship that's causing you to sin. And you're being asked to choose between honoring God and hurting someone that you care about. And God doesn't promise to show you the whole picture of your life. He promises to guide you and direct you one obedient step at a time. And nothing pleases God more than seeing you walk by faith, making your decisions based on your relationship with him. So God's command is given to Saul. And we're going to continue reading now from verse 8 to see how Saul responds. So in verse 8, we'll pick it up. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from me, from following me, and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. So then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So the second truth uh, we learn about obedience is that partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Uh, my wife and I, we have four kids. Uh, my, uh, my daughter, who's 20, then three boys, 18, 12, and 10. And my wife, in her infinite uh, wisdom, has created a bathroom cleaning schedule that they are to uh, abide by. Now, my wife claims uh, that if done as she has shown them, it should only take about 20 minutes. Uh, Danny, my 12-year-old, was recently placed on this schedule and a few weeks ago had his first crack at, um, at cleaning the bathroom. Uh, he's been taught and shown and trained in what to do. So um, Saturday comes, he gets all the cleaning supplies, goes upstairs, and sure enough, about 20 minutes later, he comes downstairs, very proud of himself. All done, bathroom's clean. Now my wife, even though she says it, it should only take about 20 minutes was kind of perplexed that it actually took him no more than 20 minutes. So she wanted to ask some clarifying questions. Okay, well, so 
Danny, did, did you vacuum the, the floor? Yeah, yeah, I vacuumed the floor. Okay, good. Do you, do you take out the rugs and, and shake them out? Yes. Took out all the rugs and, and shook them out. Great. Um, did you clean the sink, faucet, and, and, and countertop? Yes, all three. Wipe them down. Clean. Great. The mirror. Did, did you clean? Did you remember to clean the mirror? Of course, yes. I cleaned the mirror. Ah, the shower. Did you clean the shower? Yes, clean the shower. Even the little shelves? Yes. Even the little, the little shelves where the shampoo goes. Great. How about the toilet? Did you clean the toilet? Well, yeah, I, I cleaned it. Well, like, like how did you clean it? Well, I wiped it, you know, cleaned around, cleaned the toilet. Well, did you clean the inside? The what? Yeah, you know, the inside. Like, did you get in there with the brush? Oh, well, not like the inside, inside, right? Okay, so you're not done cleaning the bathroom. Well, I'm pretty much done was the response, well, pretty much done isn't done because partial is not complete. And we know this because, trust me, when we're the ones that require it of others, we're calling it out without a problem. And we see Samuel doing this in verse 13 and 14 where it says, Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. You can imagine Saul coming down. I have finished cleaning the bathroom. I have completed all the tasks required of cleaning the bathroom. He's so proud of himself. It says he even set up a monument. And then Saul's response is, to me, I think it's hilarious. Is what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? If you utterly destroyed all the animals, why do I hear animals? Saul's caught red-handed. It's like it's like literally catching your kid downstairs. You're like, leave the cookies alone. You go away. You come back. Cookies are half gone. Chocolate chips all over the mouth you know, crumbs on the counter. The kid is caught red-handed. But faced with, like, Saul has to come clean, right? He can't continue. Like, he can't double down. I mean, he's caught in the lie. His hand is in the cookie jar. He did not obey the command of the Lord. So what happened? Here's uh, Saul's response. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. They did it. The people did it. And you know who they are, right? They are them, and them is not you, so it can't be your fault. But it was for a good reason, he says. It's to sacrifice to your God. And I find that so fascinating, that it's not to sacrifice to our God, it's not to sacrifice to my God, it's, Samuel, we're doing this a sacrifice to your God. Who are we blaming for our disobedience? What kind of conditions are we placing on our disobedience, right? Hey, God, listen, I'm in as long as you are delivering for me. I mean, I'll obey as long as it doesn't cost me too much. I'll do what you want me to do as long as I'm seeing the results that I want to see. I'll do what's convenient. I'll go as far as my comfort level will allow you know, I, man, God, I love where it says, you know, that you will supply every need according to your riches in glory. But that love, my enemy's part, I don't know about that one. That one's hard. That one's hard. For I know the plans I have for you. Yes. Yes, God. Plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. I receive it. Now pray for those who persecute you. Well, now you've gone too far. Obedience isn't conditional. God's word is clear, and God doesn't give us options to consider, but commands to 
obey. And we don't pick and choose what we like or what we can live with and just leave out the parts that we don't like. Because you see, the, the culture that we're living in is operating under the mistaken notion that God really doesn't mean what he says. That God really didn't mean what he said when he said that he hates divorce. That God really didn't, re- didn't, really didn't mean what he said when he said what he said about sexual morality. So like Saul, we rationalize our disobedience, and God doesn't really mean utterly destroy, right? I mean, utterly destroy doesn't really mean utterly destroy. Utterly destroy everything doesn't really mean everything, does it? Yes, it actually does. Partial obedience is disobedience, and we disobey by doing what he tells us not to, and we disobey by not doing what he tells us to. And our disobedience, it matters. It matters to God because when we disobey, we invite sin and create separation from him. And Saul's disobedience mattered to God so much that God had enough. And look at what happens next, starting in verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Like Samuel had had enough. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should, uh, which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord. And again, we see it here, to the Lord, your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. The last truth I want to share with you today is this. Obedience comes before the blessing. Obedience comes before the blessing. See, you know, Saul allowed pride and arrogance and and fear and doubt to keep him from experiencing the absolute best that God wanted for him. So much so that God said, I greatly regret setting up Saul as king. And the reason for God's regret, Saul turned away from him and disobeyed his commandment. And God's regret, it's, it's not like ours. Right? We don't know the future, so our regret is different. We discover new information as we go, but God's regret is not based on learning new information and wishing he had done things differently. No, God, God knows the future. His regret is based on wishing we would do things differently, that we would obey him and not sin. And in verse 22 of the passage we just read, uh, I'll repeat it. Samuel says to Saul, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. He saw believed that his sacrifice 
of the best of the sheep and oxen would be enough. Right? He thought, I'm going to put on this great show for God before the people. And Saul thought that that, that sacrifice would cover and compensate for his disobedience. And what a rude awakening for him when his disobedience is, gets called out for what it was, rebellion and stubbornness. And it's compared to witchcraft and idolatry. See, we don't obey so God will bless us. We obey because we love him. And friends, when it's all said and done, more than anything else, more than anything else, God wants your heart. Because it's easy to put on a show for everyone else. But God sees your heart and knows your heart. And your sacrifice is worthless to him without your heart. Because a heart that belongs to him is a heart that obeys him. And when we started this morning, I, I, uh, I shared that while obedience keeps you from experiencing God's absolute best, you have no idea what God can set in motion in your life through one step of obedience. See, God wants to bless you. And he can, he does, when you are obedient to his word and to his call on your life. And you see, an amazing thing happens when you are obedient to God. He moves. And he moves in your life. And he uses you for his will and his purpose you have no idea what God can set in motion in your life through one step of obedience. In the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, there's a beautiful picture of this. And it's early in Jesus' ministry. He's, he's speaking to a crowd and has this interaction with Simon before calling him, calling on him to, uh, to be a disciple. And it's in Luke 5, verses 4 to 6. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. And let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. See, Simon didn't say, show me the fish and I'll let down the nets. Right? He didn't say to Jesus, well, tell you what. Said, Man, we've been here all night. We haven't caught a thing. I want to see some fish jumping before I go to the trouble of actually going out there and putting the nets out. Right? Simon didn't say that. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. See, Master, I, I don't understand what it is you want me to do. It doesn't make any sense to me. We've been at this all night. But because you say so. And what would our lives look like if we would just say to God, you know what, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It looks hard. But because you say so. See, obedience is our responsibility and the outcome is God's. I want to challenge you today to look for ways in your life to obey God. To obey him with the words that come out of your mouth. To obey him with the uh, with what your eyes look at, with what your mind thinks, uh, to obey him with what your heart feels and your hands touch, to obey him with where your feet take you, what's in your life that God has clearly spoken to you about but you have not yet obeyed? What is it that God is trying to get you to let go of but you have chosen to hold on to it and keep it? What is it that's keeping you from becoming everything God wants you to be, from living out everything God has planned and purposed for you? What is, what is it that God is prompting, guiding, and leading you to say yes to? Let's say yes today. Let's obey boldly in faith and obey completely, trusting the outcome 
to him and let's live a life that says, but because you say so, I'll say yes. Let's pray together, church. And Heavenly Father, that is our prayer, that we can have a bold, a bold faith that says yes, a because you say so faith. And Father, some of us uh, have been putting on uh, a show and we've cleaned up and tidied up what others can see, uh, but you see our hearts, God, and, and for some of us, our hearts are, are dirty. Help us to give you uh, our hearts fully and completely, Lord. Help us to, to release control to you. Prepare us uh, for the opposition that will come. Remind us that we're not facing it alone, and, and help us to take that step of obedience that you're calling us to take today, to be used by you according to your will and according to your purpose. We thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.